Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. What's up, guys? Welcome to our show. Today we discuss about API management and cloud integration. I know how it's important today to uh, know the skills to have them because many projects depend on that. Right now I am working with some projects that need it. So I'm so excited to learn more about that. Sorry for my dog because I can't <laughs> silent my dog. Uh, I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Phil Wilkins. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And it sounds like uh, your company is uh, very excited about the subject as well. Yeah, I love this topic. Okay, before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and why you decided to share the past about this topic. Uh, so um, I started uh, nearly 30 years ago, I think, now as a developer. Uh, uh, and as times have gone on, we've seen more and more um, solutions being built from lots of different components. Um, and it becomes very interesting and, and challenging to understand how those different components come together to, to give you a, an end-to-end -end solution. And uh, as a, lots of businesses these days tend to try and buy solutions rather than build them from the ground up, uh, more and more of the work becomes about just stitching those systems together um, and hopefully uh, through the use of APIs. Um, and, and certainly if you're trying to build custom extensions, then uh, you're looking at middleware technologies quite often to do that. Um, and certainly uh, exposing those extensions with APIs. So uh, that's where I've come from and, and over the years, and I've worked both uh, in end user organizations uh, and on the consulting side. Nice, nice. Love it, love it. Okay, let's talk about consulting. Uh, can you tell your methods how to consult in the right way? Uh, the reason why I'm asking about that, because I often see issue when you are trying to transfer the right data to tell that it's important to do something, but many customers can't. Uh, many reasons why. So probably they have no time, resources, or anything else. Uh, I check out a few studies online that uh, only 40% of all recommendations from consultants are implemented. Most of them ignored. So can you tell your methods how to tell your customers that it's important to do it? And uh, any tips how you can provide uh, some, I don't know, like skills uh, and uh, give them a strong reason to implement? Yeah, so so I think the, the first thing and probably one of the most important things that uh, um, we do when we try and engage with a customer is to actually get past what they think the answer is and get to their underlying problem. Because more often than not, they've come up with what they think the right answer is. Uh, and it may well work, but um, there can be a better answer. Actually, sometimes a simpler, more cost-effective answer um, that will solve their problem here and now. And um, Quite often when people start to think, when they're thinking about how do I get these two systems talking together, um, they're just looking at their current problem and not looking at the, the bigger equation because they may need to introduce other things in the longer term. Uh, and if you're not looking at the bigger picture, you can end up creating a solution that's 
fairly short-lived or it will create restrictions for you uh, as you go forward over time. Uh, it, it, some of that conversation can be quite challenging because uh, it's very easy to jump in uh, uh, and, and say, oh, you're just going to try and sell me more of your consulting time or, um, yeah, we're not here to boil the ocean. I just need to fix this problem now. Uh, but the secret to it is to, is to show how um, when you're looking at the, the, the underlying problems and, and the bigger picture, you're creating like a roadmap for them. So you're saying, well, if you do it this way, then when you want to do the next step or improve upon what you've got, this is how you can evolve it. But for today, we'll just do this little bit. So you, you give them kind of a vision or a roadmap of how they might evolve their answer. Um, so that whatever that you do, you're building up something that's not going to be thrown away in months or in a couple of years' time, and they have to go back to square one. Uh, if you do that, then yes, there is a better chance or an increased chance that you're going to get follow-on work as a consultant because they'll realise that actually there is an opportunity to build. They want to do something more. Because just about any IT person will tell you. Um, if not writing software products and working sort of for end user organizations, that as soon as uh, the IT team solved one thing, the business will be saying, ah, oh, now we can do that. We want this. Uh, and you end up with the solution growing and more and more demands. So you want a solid foundation uh, that um, is at least maintainable, if not uh, uh, something you can build up upon incrementally. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, love it, love it. By the way, these guys are from North Korea. They don't need um, any cloud integration because they have no internet. Probably in the future, I hope with my heart that we'll have uh, in the future. So, but uh, let's talk about uh, another part of the world uh, that. Uh, need um, cloud integration. Can you tell uh, uh, more about cloud integration? Wh what does it mean? Uh, how to uh, which companies need it, and uh, why it's important to use this technology? Uh, you know, like to unite with your existing data. So, um, cloud integration or uh, is, is just a, a special. Uh, aspect of, of normal integration needs. The, the one difference is, is that uh, in the ideal world, you're maximizing the cloud vendor's offering to minimize the amount of work that you need to do. Um, you know, why go and build things from uh, nothing if they've got the tools there to do it for you? Um, but in addition to um, that, you are uh, quite often needing to consider uh, the connectivity uh, and data flow between different clouds or clouds and on-premise. And the challenge there is, is we can connect those systems together. That's not the difficult bit. It's understanding where the costs are going to come. Um, many, many providers will give you free data ingress. So it doesn't cost anything to send data to Azure or AWS or uh, Google or Oracle or any of the other hyperscalers. And um, the challenge is, is getting that data back out. And that can become very costly. 
so if you're starting to put all your data into uh, AWS, for example, but you're running a lot of your logic on Azure, all of a sudden you could start incurring a lot of costs uh, just pulling the data back out to, to use it in your application. So a lot of the integration thinking needs to be about where's this, what we call the center of mass? Where is the actual data going to be used and processed? Um, and then working out where that needs to be made available. And then how does it need to be made available? Because if you're running it over lots of HTTP-based requests, that's lots of little chunks of data, uh, and you don't get the compression efficiencies but you do get the, the real-time or near-real-time characteristics. So that's more expensive than, say, compressing the data up and, and shifting it around in, in bigger blocks. The downside of that, of course, is uh, doing that is slower, uh, and you've got latency in, in, in that process. So if you're trying to do, feed a real-time system, that's just not going to work for you. So there's a lot of thinking about... Um, how you're going to distribute that data, how quickly it needs to be distributed, uh, and the cost implications of moving that data around. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice, valuable. Okay, uh, let's talk about common mistakes. Can you share a list of mistakes that the companies still do uh, when they are trying to uh, integrate cloud or any uh, type of data, just uh, mistakes, and how to find a much better way? So one of the biggest challenges I've come across, and, and it's often just down comes about as a way of how we work at, and the day-to-day -day pressures of, of delivering solutions, and that's when we define our APIs to, to control data in and data out. Um, our APIs, if we're not careful, end up reflecting how we implement the code underneath. And that means that the moment we want to make a change to our actual working code, the APIs get impacted. And that has a real knock-on effect. Uh, and it's, it's because we tend to think about how do we build this first rather than how does someone want to consume it first. So it's quite often a good idea when you're doing the APIs to actually not even think about how you're going to implement the back end, but how does someone want to use that data and try and work from that perspective. Uh, people talk about API first, um, and uh, that certainly helps the process where, where you're designing the API before you implement anything. But we, if, if we're doing API first with half an eye on how we're gonna build the backend solution, we're still gonna start influencing things. You know, uh, If we're using a relational database model, for example, our objects will start to show those relationships unnecessarily uh, and, and so on. So it's really important to try and distance yourself from that and think about just purely the consumption approach to, to it. Mm -hmm. And the other one is, is trying to um, decouple uh, APIs from uh, single use, which is quite often the case when we're building a, a mobile application, our APIs will end up reflecting just that mobile application. That limits the mm -hmm. reuse. So it's worth thinking mm -hmm. about um, whether that API might serve multiple consumers. And then you might want two, two versions of the API or look at something like uh, GraphQL as a technology 
uh, where you can then tailor the request depending on the consumer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's talk about uh, IP management. Uh, it's interesting that I have a client that uh, you know has a problem uh, to manage IP from AliExpress. So she, uh, he has uh, an online shop and uh, he usually gets commissions from uh, by selling uh, products from AliExpress. And uh, but he uh, has a lot of issues, you know, to integrate all this data, goods, items to his online shop. Uh, can you tell how to find, uh, for example, if you use API from uh, well-known resources, uh, how to find the issue that might stop the process? Uh, what kind of problems? Anything about that? Because, uh, you know, um, he tried to cooperate with a few uh, developers. Uh, but he still has this issue. I, I, I know it depends because uh, it probably takes time, you know, to analyze, to learn, to find what's going on. But any tips about that? Uh, uh, if you have the problem with API, what to do? So uh, when it comes to um, uh, developing a APIs, what, one of the important things is to make sure that you cover those error paths. Uh, and that's another classic uh, uh, challenge is we tend to, as developers, think about how things work nicely when, when everything's going well. So uh, when you're developing it, um, certainly try and make sure that you cover off and document how you deal with the back end when things aren't happy. You know, if, if your solution is um, uh, in front of a, a database and the database goes down, how are you going to respond? You're just going to let the consumer time out, or you're going to say, actually, uh, I got a connection exception. I'm going to pass um, uh, the right error message back, the right error code on just a 404 or something like that. Um, and that helps the consumer, but you've got to be careful not to share actually what the underlying cause is. Uh, you don't want to give away to any potential attacker that this is a, a, an error to uh, a MySQL database, for example. Uh, as a classic uh, mistake that I've seen where people just pass back the exception stack. And they say, oh, right, now I know exactly how they've built their back end. I know the likely vulnerabilities. I can start attacking it. Um, mm -hmm. When it comes to consuming APIs, you're kind of looking for the same thing, first of all, uh, um, which is, you know, are they giving me some meaningful error codes? Are they giving me meaningful documentation to explain it? And therefore, I can write good handlers for it and address it. The other thing to think about is uh, the amount of data you're throwing across the API call. Uh, another classic developer mistake is, is I built my API, I'm testing it on my laptop, uh, and it all works nicely. And then suddenly it stops working when you've deployed it. And what, what's happening is, is particularly in RESTful-based APIs, um, you've probably got uh, network uh, infrastructure in your production environment that you won't ever see or experience when you're testing more locally, firewalls or proxies and things like that. And they're going to put time limits on connections. They're going to put limits on the data you can pass around. And all of a sudden, things will stop working. Uh, uh, so it's worth exploring that area as well. Uh, if you're chucking a lot of data around using the RESTful API, then 
uh, you're probably going down the wrong route with your design. It's, it's a classic mm -hmm. API bad smell. Um, in terms of other areas, um, you know, look at your authentication authorization mechanisms as well, uh, mm -hmm. and encryption uh, and details like that. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. I have the question that it's not related to our main topic because, you know, I can see a lot of books on your background. Can you tell your loving books how they can help you, you know, in your uh, daily job or in life? Uh, because um, I love reading books, you know, uh, we chatted a little bit before the podcast and uh, yeah, it's my passion. So any tips about your loving books and uh, uh, and your recommendations, what books you can recommend to our, to our audience? <laughs> um, well, I could recommend my books, but <laughs> um, setting that aside, so I enjoy looking at books. It's, it's a yeah, people learn in different ways. I um, I enjoy reading a book and working through them, particularly the books that take the time to explain the underlying ideas, because then I, uh, as an architect, I. I I'll encounter different problems in different places. And if I can relate to the underlying ideas, I can take those ideas and expand or apply them in different contexts. And then uh, I will go back to the book to say, okay, I know I need to use that particular technology that, that helps in this, in this problem space. Um, but I can't remember precisely what all the, uh, the um, mechanisms are or, I want to look at a bit of code that shows how to use uh, um, or define, say, a GraphQL schema or a gRPC uh, protobuf specification. So then I go back to the books then and say, oh, right, okay, that's how I did it. Uh, and it jogs my memory quite often uh, um, to do that. So I, quite, I, I really enjoy having those books to hand so I've got those points of reference to go back to. So. Uh, I have quite often have uh, the books both in uh, a PDF or e-reader format uh, and in print. Print's uh, nice just to flick through and leaf through when you're trying to find ideas, particularly patterns books. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then um, having them on, on uh, um, uh, my iPad, it makes life a lot easier because you know, if I'm out and about with a customer, I can quickly dip into one of many hundreds of books and go, aha, that's that's the little detail that I was trying to remember and dig it out. So you become a bit of a, you know, in, in consulting, you often have to be a, a jack of all trades as the expression goes, know a lot, a bit about everything, and then specialize in one or two areas, and then be able to go and dig into all the other areas uh, and, and lean on books to help you. So, um yeah lots of lots of books lots of breadth uh and i a lot of open source and cncf based technologies these days uh is what i'm looking at um you know my last book was uh, around fluent d so um, mm. i've got copies of that lying around but i have a lot of print copies of, of patterns books from the gang of four all the way through to uh some of the uh martin fowler uh, signature series books. So uh, nice. after that, 
the only other thing I tend to do is I I tend to uh, 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 on which publishers I look at. Um, having written books and worked with publishers, knowing how they work, uh, some publishers have got a higher success rate of writing high quality books than others. Uh, Manning, for example, um, uh, are very good. They, 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 they don't print as many books, but um, the, their process ensures uh, that the books are of quality. Um, that's not to say books with other publishers aren't as good, but sometimes they might have a, a book that's a lot harder to get the value out of. Um, so, you know, some authors prefer to emphasize on the code rather than the ideas. Uh, I, 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 I prefer the ideas and then the code, and that's how Manning tends to work. So their books work for me really well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice, awesome. Okay, let's get back to the main topic. Uh, uh, can you tell more about life cycle uh, in API management? Uh, you know, I ask my audience uh, what kind of questions they have. Um, uh, a few people asked me about life cycle. Can you tell more about that? What kind of life cycle we have? Uh, if you have some checklist, it would be great. Yeah, so, so API life cycle follows the pattern of... Uh, um, the design phase, when you f create a brand new API for the first time, and you're working with the client, uh, yeah, with the consumer, ideally, uh, hopefully you get in the opportunity to use API first, uh, and you build that initial API. But over time, APIs change. You know, the, the one true uh, uh, um, truth is everything changes. Uh, so then, your your life cycle needs to deal with. How do I manage that change? And there are a whole bunch of different uh, ways of dealing with API change. Uh, there's ideas and uh, about non-breaking changes, uh, about API versioning. So how do you then release one version uh, um, um, on that may evolve or create a break from your previous one? and the processes by which you then have, uh, support your consumers to transition from one version to another. So you've got to think about that, you know, not just the version management itself, but how do I keep uh, two versions live at the back end? Uh, and how long am I going to keep my old version alive before I um, uh, reject it you know, or stop supporting it, deprecate it to, to use the, the common term? Uh, and you've got all of that, and then you've got an end-of-life state as well. So, you know, it's not that dissimilar to a, an application, but, the, you know, you've got to make sure that the consumers know about those changes. Um, and how long do you warn people so that, you, you know, just yanking the rug out from underneath um, a consumer uh, by saying, well, we're not doing this anymore, uh, is going to do an enormous amount of damage to your brand. Um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it incurs lots of costs for the consumers because they're changing their code. And, and even if you're working internally, um, some organizations that I've worked in, uh, with, they've had a, a principle of, you know, once we go live with a particular API, um, so that they uh, aren't messing other parts of the organization around, they guarantee that API will go unchanged um, for a year and then they'll say right from the moment we declare that there's going to be a change you've got six months where we'll support both 
So mm -hmm. within the consumption uh, process of, of APIs, you've got a predictable path as a consumer. You therefore need to know that, you know, when I budget, I need to budget for potential change if I'm if they're only going to support me for uh, you know, six months. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. Okay, uh, can you tell, uh, uh, for example, uh, I have WordPress and I'm going to unite WordPress with API tool from uh, OpenAI. You know, uh, I need to unite uh, artificial intelligence technology tools with uh, my tool, you know, to get more insights, data. Can you tell um, about... Uh, CMS. Uh, does it matter what kind of CMS you have if you want to unite with API or and any insights which CMS is better you know, when you uh, are going to <laughs> use API data? <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, all, all the CMSs I've come across are all, all have very different APIs. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so if, if you're thinking about doing that from the outset, then it's worth um, looking at uh, the way they've built their APIs. If they adopt uh, a particular style that's you know, restful, mm -hmm. that's great. For content, you probably want um, most of the content to be passing through in the body of an API call because it's likely to be larger. You don't want massive long header strings and things like that and you put uh, you, your body of a, an api call you can protect uh with with the uh, um uh, tls or ssl certificates because your header's not encrypted because uh, needs to be clear for the um, infrastructure to route it for you mm -hmm. so that's a, a, a consideration um yeah, you know, I, I would always look towards try, uh, um, trying to find if there's a, an industry standard as well. Uh, if there is, then um, I would err towards something that's compliant or close to an industry standard because that makes it easier to, to move from one CMS to another uh, mm -hmm. as long as there's multiple CMSs close to or around that standard. It, it releases you from tie-in, if you like. So mm -hmm. uh, whether WordPress does that or not, I, I don't know. I've never tried it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, can you tell uh, which tools can help to manage uh, API? Uh, if you know for WordPress plugins, you'll be great. If you have no, that's okay. You know, just any tools that you use daily or uh, weekly. It doesn't matter if you use them, just list them. Yeah, uh, in terms of tools, uh, for our understanding and, and working with APIs, uh, and particularly on the design end of things, you want uh, um, a tool ideally that supports uh, Swagger uh, or mm -hmm. what's uh, what's become the Open API specification. So Swagger offers a tool. Um, the, there are quite a few tools out there. Open API. Uh, um, uh, is supported by Apiary, which is a, another mm -hmm. really great mm -hmm. tool. Um, and I, over the years, I found that particularly friendly uh, for uh, and helpful as a tool for non-technical or, or um, less technical users. Um, mm -hmm. You want uh, ideally something that will help you 
work with APIs, particularly if you're developing them as a test endpoint. So things like uh, uh, Smart Bear um, and Postman uh, tools uh, are great for trying to create test and mock endpoints for you. So you can mm -hmm. then start creating and mimicking calls without having to connect everything together during development. Um, if you're getting into the really nuts and bolts, uh, uh, things like Dread is great, but that's a real developer tool. Uh, it helps with uh, unit testing of APIs and things like that. Um, there's other tools out there, you know, you need to think about publishing your documentation. So, you know, things like WordPress or and any CMS really that makes it easy to publish uh, your API blueprint is brilliant. Uh, there's quite a mm -hmm. few good uh, um, uh, tools out there to, to help with that. Uh, and a lot of them are well reviewed and documented on, on websites like Nordic APIs. Uh, which is a, a site I'd always recommend if people are trying to research tooling uh, and uh, general principles for APIs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we have the question from Michael. Are you GNU subscriber or not? <laughs> of subscriber to to uh, probably to the system. No, <laughs> I don't know. Is the question? <laughs> uh, right. uh, um, yeah. So, so uh, uh, yeah, I subscribe to quite a lot of different channels uh, and news feeds that around API. Nordic APIs is is probably the first point of contact and the first one mm -hmm. I will read. Uh, InfoQ and sites like that are all provide good API content as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah okay let's talk about the future can you tell uh what kind of future will be uh in cloud integration because many things are coming they change the way how we use them you now for example uh after a new version of ai tools uh i found that many people change their minds about using them uh, uh, uh with this updated version because it saves time you know to write text to generate pictures, many other things. What do you think, what kind of future will be in uh, cloud integration? Your prediction. So, so my predictions, uh, I, I think we'll continue to see uh, a push towards uh, more visual integration techniques um, where you, know, you, you have a, a browser-based canvas and you drag and drop your components onto it. So you the different ends and you draw a, a line to link them and map the, the, the different endpoints. And um, AI will help with that and uh, get clever at recommending how you can connect different APIs together. Um, I think we'll continue to see uh, um, uh, building blocks, you know, cloud services making things easier and easier. Um, in the AI space, for example, uh, some of the cloud providers, I know my employers, for example, Oracle, um, are building APIs uh, and AI services uh, behind the APIs that do one thing really well, yeah, whether that's text recognition or image recognition, um, in addition to just large uh, 
um, machine learning uh, based solutions where you could train train the machines to do anything you like. Um, yeah. So uh, by the way, yeah, I, I teach them how to write text for me. You know, they they do provide a good job. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, that that's one direction. I I think we'll we'll continue to see. Um, very technical end of the spectrum move happening as well uh where it's a really hardcore developer style activity and you're getting down into the nitty-gritty um yeah the use of grpc is a good example of that particularly microservice to microservice style integration uh, and the apis between your own microservices uh that that's going to continue to evolve and the other area that I, i'm watching with a lot of interest and it's gaining a lot of traction it is um called async api or asynchronous api historically when we've talked about api we think about predominantly rest and if you're old enough you'd have talked about soap and wisdom um, Async API is bringing the same ideas uh, as um, Open API, but applying it to asynchronous communications, because we're seeing streaming coming along. We've got uh, Kafka uh, and uh, technologies like that, uh, where it's not a request resp uh, response model, but you still need to describe how the interaction needs to take place and what you're communicating. And that's what Async API is doing. Uh, and it has a lot of commonalities as well with open API. So uh, that's a really exciting area that I think um, is going to gain more and more traction. Yeah, nice, nice. We'll see. We'll see what kind of future will be because it's, you know, uh, I'm so bad to predict the future, especially when uh, I invest uh, to some stocks. <laughs> but we'll see about API. Okay, uh, I have the final question. Uh, let's imagine. You started from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills, just completely from scratch. What, what would you do today to learn more about API management and cloud integration? Um, so there's a couple of particularly good books I'd recommend reading. Uh, uh, and I've got a blog post, actually, because uh, I was asked that not so long ago. What would I recommend for someone starting out? Um, so there are a couple of really good books out there that will get you started. Um, on the more integration side of things, I'd go and read uh, some of the classic reference books. Um, uh, the Hope and Wolf uh, book, which is part of the Martin Fowler series of books, is a brilliant place to start. It explains a lot of the uh, ideas uh, over for classic integration, which will work anywhere. Uh, and that's um, uh, really, really useful. Uh, and that will get you going. And then, um, you know, if you're working in a more contemporary style, uh, I would look at how microservices are being integrated now. Um, the uh, um, book microservices, um, uh, patterns on the Manning uh, uh, um, series by uh, Chris Richardson is a brilliant guide into building integration techniques for, for the more microservice way. And then I'd just start slowly. 
you know, just do very simple uh, uh, integrations and, and try them out uh, and look at um, how using APIs can abstract things. So you can buy it in your consumer and your client. And if you're if you're familiar with more than one language, write it write each end in different languages. You know that's how we are today, polyglot, and it will really help you re, uh, reinforce um, thinking around um, APIs because you're having to do the consumer and the provider and using different techniques and different libraries, uh, and that'll help reinforce that mindset of don't think about the implementation. Yeah, nice, nice, valuable, valuable. Uh, it's a big pleasure uh, to get on my show, Phil. Yeah, a lot of great insights. Uh, tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Yeah, sure. So um, you want to, if you want to see what I'm up to uh, uh, and writing about, um, uh, everything is on my website, which is mp3monster.org. Uh, pretty easy to remember. Um, uh, there isn't huge amounts actually about MP3 these days. This is a, a, an old joke. Um, on Twitter, I am MP3 Monster. Um, my LinkedIn, um, or in fact, if you can find my website, you'll find all my other profiles. Uh, so I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, uh, and uh, you know, if you want to talk to me more formally, then uh, Oracle have Slack channels that I'm on. Um, and you can get to me there and we can talk Oracle Tech um, more specifically. So. Nice, nice. Guys, you can find all these links in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. Uh, I love all your insights. Uh, my dogs uh, are loving as well. You can hear yeah. them. Uh, Michael, uh, it's a big pleasure that you shared all your comments, uh, valuable. I sent Michael a connection request on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, he knows his stuff as well. Yeah, thanks uh, for taking part on our podcast. And guys, you can find all the links to fill uh, account in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify, and see you next time. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.